Our scripture reading tonight from Psalm 124, if you want to turn with me there. Psalm 124, a psalm of ascents. As again, we're working our way through this as well. Um, that section of the Psalter beginning at, verse, or at uh, Psalm 120, and then carrying on all the way if you continue to look in the titles of the psalms that we're looking at, they go all the way to Psalm 134. So tonight we look at Psalm 124, a glorious psalm of victory, as you'll see there in the uh, title, Victory Assured. And as we focus on Psalm 124, I actually want to back up if I can, just the context, um, it makes a difference. Uh, Psalm 123, and then they're short, and then I'm going to read through to the end of Psalm 124. Psalm 123, beginning at verse 1. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. Have mercy on, upon us, O Lord, have mercy on us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease of the contempt of the proud. And then Psalm 124, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us, and then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. That is God's word. So we come tonight to Psalm 124, again, one of the Psalms of Ascent, a particular portion of the Psalter that is given to us, they are all clustered together, as I said, Psalm 120 to 134. And uh, we've looked at this, it's been a while again, I understand, but just to be uh, mindful of kind of what this is or what these are, um, they are most likely uh, Psalms that Old Testament Israel, of course, that's where they would have been first used, that's where they were first given, but Old Testament Israel would have used these psalms as they uh, went to Jerusalem and at the center of Jerusalem being the temple and at the center of the temple being that uh, holy of holies, the, the, the testament, the testimony of God's promise of his special presence with his people. And so uh, if you think about life in Israel, they would have been living all over the place uh, in terms of um, geography, uh, relatively all over the place in terms of geography. And uh, they were required, um, as they were able, to make the pilgrimage, make the walk, make the journey. Um, for some, that's you know, uh, quite substantive in terms of distance. And they were to go to Jerusalem, to the temple, to offer sacrifices, to worship, to rejoice in the Lord. And so this is 
the, the way that the, the, the Psalms would have been used. They would have sung them, they would have spoke about them, they would have um, you know, been meditating upon them as they traveled. And uh, the way that this translates very simply, again, as we'll be using this this evening, the way that these Psalms translate to us today, um, we are not Old Testament Israel, that's obvious. Uh, we don't have to make pilgrimages to Jerusalem. Those days are gone. Old Testament Israel has served its purpose. And now we come into the uh, era of the church uh, where the gospel promises, the covenant promises, the, the door has been blown off, as it were. And the Lord is not just working amongst one specific ethnicity, as we have been just reminded in our prayers, but that he has come and he has, as he's promised, to be a blessing to the nations and every tribe, people, tongue, and nation called to come uh, to his worship. And so we think about these psalms, and we have looked at them under the theme of pilgrim psalms, making our way through this life of faith with the, the grand hope, not of a building, not of a, uh, a, 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 an altar and, and a holy of holies and all of those, but the, the ultimate reality to which all of these pointed to, and that is the glorious reality of heaven, where we see and we will see the culmination of all of God's promises, of his presence in perfection for eternity, right? And so these psalms serve for us as pilgrim psalms as we make our way through this life of faith uh, to the glorious end which God has set out for us, and that is heaven itself. And so you can trace a progression in these psalms, and it brings us up to speed here. Psalm 124 is a psalm, as we've begun to work our way through, um, they have come, if you will, uh, to Jerusalem. They have come to the temple of the Lord. And in Psalm 124, they begin to think about, they begin to dwell upon, the psalmist begins to speak, it's a psalm of David, of life, again, in this fallen world. Uh, you know the name of Augustine or Augustine, depending on how you want to pronounce that name, an early church father. And he wrote an extremely influential book. Uh, some of you would have read this book, The City of God. And that book, it's quite substantive, um, boils down, and I don't want to be simplistic in this, but in that book, Augustine boils down all of world history into two cities. So you think about history, you think about the world, the, the universe in which we live, and he boils down all of world history to two cities, standing opposed to each other. And he speaks about the city of God, the namesake of the book, the city of God, with Christ seated on the throne and those who are associated with Christ and the King. And then he speaks of the city of this world, of this earth, with Satan seated on the throne, the prince of this world. And, and Augustine, he, he works through this basic paradigm of these two cities. And he's working through Basically, the paradigm that the scriptures have given to us, this is where he's getting this from, right? Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Thinking there of, of the two seeds, right? If you th he's just translated that into cities. 
the two seeds, those belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ and those who are associated with the seed of Satan himself. And we know, again, as we think on the, the broad terms of things, that these two entities are at odds. They must be at odds. They, they, there is nothing that would have a commonality between these two. The city of God with Christ at the center, the city of this world with Satan at the center. We think about these, this reality, again, the Old Testament Israelite would have known what it was to live in that conflict. And though things have changed, time has come and gone, and you have us not going to Jerusalem and temples, this very fabric of our universe, of our, of our history of the world, this side of heaven, hasn't changed. We continue to know this struggle between these two entities. And we will know and continue to know this struggle even until the end when the Lord Jesus Christ should appear. Christ, the one seated on the throne of heaven, Satan, the one who is the prince of this world. And again, we hearken back to Genesis 3, and we know not just that these two things are in, or these two realities are in opposition, but we know which one is victorious. This is not a, the Bible is not a mystery novel where we got to have to go to the end to see who wins. This is a declaration of the one who wins. This is a declaration of God and his king, the one who wins. Of, of Christ crushing the head of Satan. Psalm 124, and why I tell you this, and why we kind of get into this picture, this illustration, Psalm 124 is an expression of this. It is an outworking of this, of this reality of, on the one hand, you have the conflict and on the other hand, you have the statement of assured victory for those who are on the right side, that is, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you recall, as we begin now looking at Psalm 124, you recall that there has been a, 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 a lead up to Psalm 123 in these Psalms of Ascent. There, they're making their way to the, the special place of God's presence. They've, they've, they've been traveling. You know, they wear, my eyes have been set on the hills. They're thinking of Jerusalem. And you can see the progression of the Psalm, Psalm 123. They look beyond. This is why I wanted to read Psalm 123. They look beyond the pictures and the types of a city and a building. Even Old Testament saints knew this. They knew as they came to Jerusalem that they were not coming to heaven. They knew when they came to the temple and began thinking about the Holy of Holies that that was not the end of their experience with the, with the presence of God. They knew this. The faithful knew this. Psalm 123 cuts right through it. Right? Psalm 123 begins, To you I lift up my eyes, you who are enthroned in the heavens. They weren't coming there to, to, to experience a city and a building, even in the Old Testament even as they had to go through the sacrifices and such. For the faithful, they cut through all of that 
And their eyes were set on the one who was enthroned in heaven. Their, their, their eyes were set on the one who had been promised, the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 124 flows from this. Right? And so we think about the eyes, our eyes as, as they sit and they dwell and they meditate upon the one who has conquered sin and Satan and the world and death. The one who is even as we speak, that we can see even more clearly than the Psalm, than the Old Testament saints, we, we can see more clearly the fact that this one who is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's come, he's taken on flesh. It is this Christ, it is this Jesus, it is this Savior and this King that we have come to worship this afternoon. And Psalm 124 flows from this. And it's a wonderful psalm of both understanding the reality that we continue to live in in this fallen world, but always in the light of the sure victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. And so we break this down very simply by looking verses one to five at our battle. At our battle. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away, the torrent would have gone over us, then over us would have gone the raging waters. You know, this is, this is the, the, the pen of David, but he understands the world in which he lives. And this is not painting a picture of a, a world that is favorable. There is an admission at, at this particular point that it is actually a battle and that if someone and, and some, the, the, the king, if, if he had not guided and directed and intervened, it would have been done for them. Right, and so they're looking to the king, Psalm 123, to the very promise of heaven itself, to the, the throne of heaven itself. And then you can almost sense us looking there back again to the world in which we live and we look at what is going on around us, whether it's personally or societally, we look at what is going on around us and yes, the particulars change, but there's nothing new under the sun. And we look at the world in which we live and we can say the same thing. People rising up against us. Anger's, anger being killed or, or kindled raging waters coming over us. God's people here in Psalm 124 are brought to the very essence of the city of God, to the throne of heaven. And as they focus on this throne of heaven, they see things clearly in terms of these two cities. This great reality, this battle that rages. Notice in verse two and in verse three, David chooses the word, again, by inspiration of the Spirit. He chooses the word when. The, the, the struggle, the battle, this side of heaven is not an if. It's not a, you know, you, you look at church history and there are times when there are no battles and then there are times, no, the, the, the scriptures say to us, this is constant. The details change, but this battle is constant. It's not if the world rises up against us. It's not if those who do not 
believe in the Lord Jesus Christ rise up against us. It's not if and it's when. This is a battle. And this battle rages whether we as God's people recognize it or not. It's raging all around us. Constantly. The prince of this world is actively. It's not figments of people's imagination. It's not, you know, something out of a kind of a character of a, of a cartoon. It, it, the, the prince of this world, Satan himself, is active. And he's tenaciously seeking to destroy God's people. That is what he's doing. And he will use any means possible to do so. Anything that he can do, anything that he's allowed to do, he will use. Again, whether we realize it or not. Whether we are paying attention to it or not. It is the world in which we live. Old Testament Israel, again, becomes such a wonderful, that is effective, picture of this. All of Old Testament, it, it, if you think about it, it, the Lord has given it to us as, as a picture. It's a wonderful way to understand things. And if you think about what is being now being expanded to think about the church and, and the, the situation that we live in, you just go back to the Old Testament, you think about Israel. There were, there were parameters, they were a nation, there were boundaries. Right? It was a physical, tangible picture of God's people where there was a boundary. There, there were marks and lines of that which was their land. And you follow, you look at the geography of this and you ask yourself, what was all around them? Absolutely, all around them. Nations that wanted to destroy them. Nations that were hostile. And what a picture that is of what is the world in which we live in a spiritual way. You have God's people. And we live in a world where Satan is still active. We live in a world where this battle still rages. And it's the world all around us. And sometimes the application from Old Testament to New Testament is difficult because we don't live in that visible picture. But, but, but you think about the words of our Lord. Think about Israel and all of the nations around them. And, and Jesus, as, as he speaks in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, he says this very definitively, he who is not with me is against me. He speaks categorically of two realities. He's not talking about a third neutral party and a fourth neutral party and an indifferent party. He simply says, those who are not with me are against me. That's what he says. And you apply that to the entire world. Those who are with the Lord Jesus Christ, by his grace, in his mercy, united to him, and there are those who are not. He who is not with me is against me. It's very helpful to understand the battle that we currently are engaged in. And so we must filter all of our reality through this paradigm. Psalm 124, again, speaks so pointedly to this fact. Someone is either with Christ, bowing down to the throne of heaven, to the one who is seated on the throne of heaven, or they are against him. 
They are under the rule and the influence of the spirit of this world, the prince of this world. Now again, we cut through, keep things basic. And this must become our paradigm as we assess our position in this world, as we assess the battle, as we assess our lives, as we assess our influences, as we assess all of these things, as we think of governments and school systems and the business world and the financial world and the entertainment world. We think of Hollywood and the news and the internet and advertisers. All of a sudden, Psalm 124 isn't a psalm that was written for a people way back there that really has nothing to do with us. But we see all of the, the, the enemies and the influences of those who are antagonistic to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as they bombard us, whether we realize it or not. And all of a sudden, Psalm 124 rushes into relevance. And once again, we are refocused on the one that keeps us. Psalm 124, again, looking at these, listening to these opening words, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. This is not a battle cry to pull up our socks and try harder. This is not a battle cry to dust off our rifles and all of those kind of things. This is a psalm that teaches us that outside of the Lord Jesus Christ and his protection, we lose. We get decimated. The world washes over us and we become like them. That enmity. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. This is not for us to kind of get ourselves all worked up to say we've need, we need to, to engage. This is for us to humbly come before the Lord and say, if it is not for you, we are undone. The nations, as you think about Israel and all the nations around them, that they would have simply walked through and decimated them. There is one reason and only one reason why they survived in the Old Testament. There is one reason and only one reason why the church continues to survive today, and that is because of our King. That is Psalm 124. It is because of the one who is seated on the throne. That is why. And this is Psalm 124. Our puny efforts if they are not focused on our king, will do nothing to protect us or keep us. It is the Lord. They had just seen him. We have just seen him in Psalm 123. The one who is seated on the throne of heaven. It is that one that the psalmist is here addressing, if it, not, if, it not, if it had not been the Lord, if it had not been that one who is seated on the, the throne of heaven, then we would have been undone. And this then segues into the second portion of Psalm 124. We recognize the battle. And again, it's not for us to proudly say, you know, 
we're going to do something about it. The Psalm 124 is saying, continue to look to the king. It's only because of him. The, the Psalm transitions from that recognition in the context of our battle to those glorious words in verse 6, bless be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us prey to their teeth. Blessed be the Lord. We'll notice in Psalm 124, it's in a pattern, a structure of if, then, right? If it had not been, then this would have happened. If, then this would have happened. If, then this would have happened. The then, right? As we, or the, the if, I should say, in terms of if it had not been the Lord, that, that crescendos in this statement in verse 6, blessed be the Lord. That's where it all boils down to in this psalm. If we want to put it this way, he is our primary weapon. He is our only weapon. He is our only hope. And again, as we look at this in the context of the church, and we think of that picture, if it helps you, if you think about that picture of little nation Israel and all of the nations around them, And we think about the question of how is it that we are going to survive? How is it that we are going to overcome? How is it that we are going to get by in all of these things when we have, from our point of view, this little nucleus of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in a culture and a world that is all around us and against us? And again, we think of the words of our Lord that all come to fruition here, or, or culmination, I should say, in blessed be the Lord, that, that glorious statement of blessed be the Lord. We think of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 16. He's thinking of the same thing as, as you, you work through um, the Gospels, and you, you think about the fledgling New Testament church, and you think about all the enemies that are around, and Jesus is here dealing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and so there's even enemies within the ranks of those who should know better. And as Peter comes to confess this Christ, as he comes to look to the one who is seated now at the right hand of God the Father, as he professes Christ, we hear these words, and we've heard them before. But in chapter 16, Matthew 16, verse 18, Right following Peter's confession of Christ. Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail. You see how closely that is tied to Peter's confession. As he recognizes the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he says to Peter, on this, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Psalm 124. When we think of our efforts, we think of what we are reminded of this evening, of, you know, we might think in, in the, the, the big picture of things, what is it that is going to happen if you give invitations and, and, and all of those kind of things. At Grace, we've hung out door knockers, uh, or door hangers, I should say, just to invite people to come to see, you know, come to the church. 
introduce yourself to us, that kind of thing. And you think, well, what's in, in the light of what is going on in the world in which we live, what is that going to do? Well, if you're just looking at it from human effort, nothing. Absolutely nothing. But as we take our weak and our frail efforts, whatever they might be, and however they might manifest themselves, we take our weak and our frail efforts and we look at the, the, the magnitude of that which is set around us, our job, our goal, our calling, in a world that is dead set against us. And we say, where is the hope of these things? Psalm 124. It's the king. Softening, our, uh, softening hearts and opening eyes, it is the king. The health of a congregation. We can come up with all the gimmicks and all the programs and all of those kind of things. And again, I'm not against those things necessarily, but you think about all that and you know, what's the latest fad? And if we are only going to, if we only do this, the church is going to grow and we're going to, you know, need to expand and all of these kind of things. It's simply not so. What is our hope in terms of a particular congregation of health and growth and success? It is the king. Blessed be the Lord. As we think of our families, that which the Lord Jesus has put his stamp on. And we think of that which we are called to do in nurturing our children and all of those kind of things. And this is not to belittle it or, or demean it in any way. But we can do all of those things until we're blue in the face. How do we protect our children from the world? How do we protect their hearts and their souls from the world that they live in? Psalm 124 tells us we don't. The Lord does. Otherwise, they get washed away. And so we look to the Lord. As we think of our own individual souls, there's so many ways to apply this. As we look at our own individual souls, Psalm 124 is a reminder to us of how, on our own strength, how close we are. We're a hair's breadth from also being swept away with the world. Loving what the world loves and, and doing what the, the, what, what the world does. Striving after what everyone on this earth is after. Selfishly seeking. What keeps us from this? It's not because we're smarter. It's not because we're better. It's the Lord. Otherwise, we would have been washed away. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We've escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we've escaped. And then that, that glorious declaration... As the psalm comes to an end, and we often hear this in some circles, you hear this in the votum, right? You have the votum and the salutation. We, we, oftentimes you hear this as, we be, as you begin a service. But as you think about Psalm 124, and you, you begin to enter into the reality of this battle and this war, and what we would be if it were not for our king, I think we read verse 8 with a little more gusto. <laughs> Our help is in the name of the Lord, 
who made heaven and earth. Victory is assured. It's not because of who we are. It's not because of our intellectual prowess. It is because of the Lord. It is because of that one who is seated the throne of heaven. If you are a believer this evening, we ask ourselves the question, why am I still a believer? We can deal with why am I a believer in the first place, but why am I still a believer? Why do I still care about the worship of the one true living God? It is because of the Lord. And so we say, blessed be the Lord. And we say and we declare our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And if we can say that this evening after thinking about our own lives and our own situation and our own circumstances, and we can say, yes, indeed, it is the Lord and only the Lord. Imagine, just for a moment, I leave you with this. Imagine for a moment. Not us as individuals, not even us thinking about our own time frame, but you think about everyone, every person from the beginning of time to the end, who doesn't just look at their own circumstance, but looks at all of world history to see that day of culmination Again, the end of our pilgrim, pilgrimage, the end of our journey that sees at the end of all of, of human history a multitude that cannot be counted standing shoulder to shoulder declaring the glorious riches of the Lord Jesus Christ. And every heart and every voice will be declaring the sentiment of Psalm 124, whether they're thinking of their own souls, whether they're thinking of all of history. Blessed be the Lord, for He has brought us here. And our help is in the name of the Lord, who is the maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 124 is a wonderful reminder of our King. It's a personal reminder of how he keeps us and how he's faithful to us, even in our faithlessness. And so as we live in this world, as we continue to live as pilgrims, we do so, we must do so, recognizing the battle, but also acknowledging the sole reason why we are victors, and it is because of our Lord. Let us pray. O Lord, our gracious God in heaven, we come and we are grateful. Grateful for the one that you have given to us, O Father, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one to whom you have granted all authority in heaven and on earth, the one who has declared so confidently that he will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
we are grateful for a king such as this. And again, O oh Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to behold him. That as we live this life, as we live in this world, as we live as pilgrims, we would do so with the light of the gospel shining upon us. And we are proud to confess, we are thankful to confess that our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.